We continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and we are continuing our college football preview for the 2022-2023 season. And I love to bring in my next guest, my friend from the Northwest Iowa Review and our resident college football expert, Charlie Hildebrand. Charlie, how are you? How was your vacation? It was good. Uh, I enjoyed visiting New York City, I would say, to anyone going. I would not recommend visiting in the summer. I would say go in the fall or the spring, so it's a bit cooler outside. But but it was good. We'll see how much bias I picked up being in New York. I mean, maybe I'll only pick win conferences now. We'll just uh, we'll have to find out, I guess. Well, I assume you're If going... I say Penn State 13-0 and going into the playoff and no one else in the Big Ten with more than eight wins. But somehow the East Coast bias has gotten a hold of well, I assume I assume you are placing huge bets on Fordham and uh, and Columbia to win their respective conferences in at, at the FCS level. I was sweating out Patriot League bets the entire time. <laughs> Very good. So last week we discussed the AAC, we discussed the Big 12, and we, we discussed the SEC. This week's uh, preview will be on the Big 10 and the Pac-12. Again, you know, last week, because we were talking about the AAC getting raided with teams, you know, going to the Big 12, the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas, going to the SEC here next year or within a couple of years. This week... Again, the the similarities are the the links. The Big Ten is raiding USC and UCLA from the Pac-12 here within a couple of years. So that's why we're picking these two conferences today. But first, we need to do some house cleaning here. And we always appreciate anyone who listens to the podcast. And we, uh, I was reached out to by uh, an East Carolina University fan of all, uh, a, a podcast. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's a, a blog or a podcast of some sort. Um, but they said we had some lazy analysis on ECU, how they have Mike Houston, and he's got we got the fastest running back in the country, and people are sleeping on ECU. Why aren't you talking about them? And so I responded back saying that you know we we aren't doing a deep dive on them. We're looking at you know that Central Florida's better, Houston's better, Cincinnati's better, and if East Carolina somehow ends up in the AAC championship game or in that conversation, I will happily go back on Twitter and respond back and say, yes, you were right, and next year we will do an extensive preview on East Carolina. Um, We're not trying to do lazy analysis here, but... We didn't talk about Tulane or Navy or anyone like that. We're not going to do a deep dive on why Florida Atlantic has a chance to win Conference USA or why Buffalo's defense could keep them in the the conversation for the MAC championship. I don't even know if that's even possible. We're not going to talk about why Akron might win three games this year and why that's a significant achievement. We're not really going to talk about Boise State and the Mountain West and stuff. We'll touch on those conferences, but we just aren't going to be able to touch base on all 130 FBS teams. We're going to focus heavily on the Power 5 conferences, the uh, some of these uh, the independents. Like I'm not, We're not going to do a deep dive on Navy, but we'll talk about Notre Dame for sure and maybe BYU. We're just not going to touch on every team. So as, I'm sorry that the ECU fan was offended uh, we appreciate you listening to the podcast, and we hope you keep listening, and we will make good on our promise to uh, apologize to you on Twitter once that is, is done, and also to do a deep dive on ECU next year, should East Carolina make the AAC championship game, which 
I just don't see it happening because there are too many good teams ahead of them, at least this year. I mean, maybe they'll channel the ghost of Ruffin McNeil and have a great year this year. Who was the uh, – oh, um, David Garrard was a ECU quarterback, and he helped lead the Jaguars to several playoff wins, including probably most, not- most notably the win at Pittsburgh in the playoffs. So um, with apologies to David Garrard and the ECU alumni, and uh, we're just we, – we can't focus on everyone here. David Garrard, the most famous person in history that has Crohn's disease – I don't know. You tell me. I just remember he had a, he had a commercial where he talked about that. I, I, vague, I can't name anyone else with Crohn's disease off the top of my head. Yeah, I vaguely remember that too. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. He probably he could be. I I don't know. We we could Google famous people who has who have Crohn's disease. You want me to do that right now? Let's let's. I mean, it. we could. We could. I mean, also, I mean, if you want to look through that, you give me something to talk about. And I'll blow VA while you're scrolling through pages of uh, moderate to maybe, maybe there are really famous people with Crohn's disease. I don't know. Well, it's not the, something I know a great deal about. Yeah, let's 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 take a look here. They're uh, googling it right now. I did not think that this was the direction that we would head in this week, but uh, you know what? That's the beauty of doing this podcast. We never know where uh, you know where where it's going to go. So. It's like a five-year-old telling a story. We'll eventually get to the end, but sometimes it's not going to be the route you think it's going to go to get there. Okay, so the 15 celebrities here with Crohn's disease, according to WebMD, they would include uh, Shannon Doherty. Uh, she was in... I think she was the 90210 lady. She was. She was also in Charmed. I don't know if you are familiar with that one. I've heard of it. I didn't ever watch it. Uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, 34th president of the United fam- States. President's yeah. pretty famous. Yep. Cynthia McFadden, she was investigative journalist for NBC News and former anchor of ABC's Primetime and Nightline. Uh, Mike McCready, uh, lead guitarist for Pearl Jam. He had Crohn's. Uh, David Garrard, as we mentioned. Uh, Anastasia, uh, Anastasia, uh, singer-songwriter Anastasia Newkirk. Uh, who else do we have? Kevin Deneen, he's a former Hartford Whaler. So, there there you go. How about Dynamo? Illusionist Stephen Frayne, better known as Dynamo. He is Crohn's. Tommy Frazier, quarterback for Nebraska. Hey. No, I didn't even know he was one of them. Yeah. I mean, to me, Tommy Frazier's more famous than all of them, but I, I'm biased there. Dennis Kucinich, he was a two-time presidential candidate, member of the House of Representatives for Ohio. John Landau, music, a rock music critic and record producer, uh, also leads the nominating committee for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mary Ann Mobley, uh, hmm, uh, she appeared in episodes of Perry Mason, Love American Style, and The Match Game. I, uh, you know, Gene Rayburn and The Match Game, I'm familiar with that. Uh, Larry Nance Jr., uh, former right. Wyoming Cowboy, he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers and now with the or now with the Los Angeles Lakers and stuff. So that's good. How about Beth Orton? She's an English singer songwriter, and George the Animal Steel. Uh, oh, nice! The former pro wrestler. Yes. Uh, so there, there we go. Is that the? 
George yeah, the Animal yep, Steel was yes, definitely okay, a pro yep, wrestler. I, I was just reading through it. Yeah, high school. So there you go. 15 famous people with Crohn's disease. So. I feel like Dwight D. Eisenhower is the most famous. Like, I, once I, I heard that name, that was going to be tough to be. Like, who would be someone that's more famous than a president? Like, uh, if we were looking at sports figures, would Tiger Woods maybe be more famous than Dwight D. Eisenhower? Would Michael Jordan be more famous? Like, like Those two, I mean, it depends how old you are. But if you're under the age of 60 and definitely 50, then I think Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan both would be just because... Because so many people weren't alive when Dwight D. Eisenhower was president, or even if, I mean, and let's even say like 10 years after he died, but there just becomes a certain point where it was just too long ago. I mean, I don't know about you. There was a point in time I could name all the presidents. I don't think I could now. Oh, I certainly I mean, could. if we go, if we go like the, like, I know there was Abraham Lincoln and then Ulysses S. Grant was somewhere in there, but there were about four or five in a row where it's just like, oh yeah, I've heard that name, but totally forgot about that game. I certainly couldn't name him in order. I could probably get close to 46 of them, but not not certainly not in order. Which is kind of embarrassing to say that we can't name 46 things in order, especially as important as they are to our history. But I guess that's... Neither, I mean, no, but you and I could very easily name off all of the Power 5 schools. Exactly. Too, which is funny how things work. Exactly, yes. That is more of our Matt Forte, who, by the way, went to Tulane. So there you go. Some more AAC talk in here this week. So there there you go. ECU Pirate fan. Um, which, again, we thank you for listening to the blog. And we hope you, or the, the podcast. We hope you continue to listen to it here. And we will make good on our promise to... Uh, Come back and, and talk about ECU should they make it to the AAC championship game or at least be in the discussion late in the season. I just So don't... be in the discussion, I realize that you could have like an awful non-conference record and still be in the discussion. Mm-hmm. But let's take that aside and just say, so what are we are we talking like nine and three? Nine and three or better? Okay, well let's look at ECU's uh, uh, schedule here. So they are at uh, uh get here um there they host nc state which is a little odd i mean if they can beat nc state we're gonna have to start to maybe take them a little seriously yeah all bets are off now yep old dominion and campbell are at home navy's at home so there's a i think a realistic chance ecu goes three and one to start things off um yeah then they're at South Florida. I think that's a winnable game for ECU. So let's just say they go 4-1 and one there. At Tulane, anything could happen there. Best case scenario, we're looking at 5-1. and one. Home to Memphis, potential 6-1 and one here. Yes, we have to start taking them seriously. Then you go to... Uh, then Central Florida comes in. That's the... that I think that's the make-or-break game. If, the, if by October 22nd, if after that game... ECU is seven and one. Then we might have to start sweating it a little bit. Like, yeah, this team's for real because they're the final four games after that at BYU, at Cincinnati, home to Houston, and at Temple. Temple's not a, a huge issue. It's those first those three. other ones. That's a tough stretch. Though. Yes. Yep. And again, UCF at home. That's a tough one as well. So let's let's make a deal right now that if. If ECU has one or fewer losses after that UCF game, we will lead off the next time we talk about East Carolina football. Deal, deal, absolutely, absolutely. If they have 
Florida, then they beat, I think that was their eighth game. So if they're seven and one or eight now, yep. after the UCF game, we are immediately leading off with ECU. Yes, absolutely. Yep. So that is our that is our promise to you, the ECU listeners out there, that we will lead off uh, talking about East Carolina football. And, and I think they would be one of the certainly one of the bigger storylines of the college football season to that point. If we're looking at, at ECU being seven and one at the end of October. Or eight no. I mean, they yeah. can beat NC State. Yeah. I mean, if they're playing NC State at home, I mean, if they're going to pull the upset, I think it's more likely to happen in East Carolina. It's it certainly, yeah, yeah, much more than by going to Raleigh. That's for sure. That's certainly for sure. So there we go. So let's get into our preview here this week, though, with the Big Ten uh, and the Pac-12. We'll start with the Big Ten here. Um, so I don't know how much research you've done on the Big Ten, um, but it, it, certainly this is our conference to talk about. I mean, I, I'm more of a Virginia Tech fan than a Minnesota fan, but growing up in Minnesota, I know the Gophers very well. You're the Nebraska fan and all this. So this is really our conference here. And I look at the East, and I mean, Ohio State is clearly the favorite within this conference overall. C.J. Stroud, their quarterback, is absolutely fantastic. We know Marvin Harrison's son, uh, Junior's, uh, the Marvin Harrison Senior's son is outstanding. Uh, they have other good wide receivers as well. Ohio State seems to be one of the more overall consensus picks to make it to the college football playoff outside of perhaps only Alabama. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. They never lack talent at Ohio State. No. I mean, even when sometimes something's off and they're not quite as good, talent's never an issue. And for the most part, the offense really hasn't been a big problem for no. Ohio State under Ryan Day. Yes. Whether it's the head coach of the EOC. And with Stroud back, and they just always have an embarrassment of bridges of receiver and defensive back. And that I'm sure that they will have plenty of uh, lanky and fast, agile dudes who are great at catching the ball one-handed in the end zone for touchdowns. And certainly they have not – I think there was some speculation or some thought, at least certainly for me, that when Urban Meyer handed the reins off to Ryan Day that maybe Ohio State would take a step back. And they haven't. I don't know if you can say they've been better with Ryan Day than they were with Urban Meyer, but certainly the level of recruiting and their level of play on the field hasn't tapered off one bit. It it seems like in the regular season, the difference between the two, and this isn't a knock on Ryan Day, but that Ryan Day loses more of the toss-up games than Urban Meyer does. Sure, yep. But unlike Urban Meyer, he doesn't have these losses where you're like, what? They lost to, to four and four for two on the road? Mm-hmm. Like, what? They lost to, they lost by four touchdowns to an eight and four Iowa team? That's weird. Mm-hmm. Where those games, they're easily winning. But it's the like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Oregon will be tough. We'll see. It's like, oh, they lost that game. Like, oh, Ohio State, Michigan for the, or for the division title. That could be a good game. So. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I think they're definitely going to win the division. I mean, I don't think I'd say I, I'd be stunned if they didn't because, you know, it's not like Penn State and Michigan don't recruit well, too. Right. But I don't think that I don't think Ohio State's going two years in a row without winning the division, though. 
Before we get into like the division specific, so we'll go with the East and then with the West, do you have any overall thoughts on the Big Ten Conference as a whole as it pertains to this year? I'm going to say this, and I'm going to a little bit later have to walk it back a slight degree when we're talking about the divisions. But I know that the East teams are generally at the top are more historically successful and are from larger cities and frequently recruit better. I don't think the West gets enough credit, though. Like, a lot of people treat the Big Ten West like the old Big 12 North in, like, 2004 when nobody was good. And while, I mean, nobody from the Big Ten West has made the playoff, and I think that's always going to be tough. I mean, it's not like there haven't been fantastic Big Ten West teams. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not as high-scoring as, you know, Ohio State or some USC or Oklahoma or Alabama teams are. But they're still really good, but just because, you know, they're not Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State, people are like, oh, my God, they're not any good. They're terrible. And it's like, well, you know, Wisconsin's had, like, three seasons with, I think, two or three losses or fewer in the last six or seven years. In Iowa's had, I think, made the conference title two or three times now. And, I mean, I know they got smoked by by Michigan last year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they almost beat Michigan State in 2015. They were like three inches short of doing that. So, I'm I'm not saying that the West is literally as good as the East. But I don't think it's as big of a gap as people say it is. I, I think the gap between the SEC West and the SEC East is bigger than the Big Ten West and the Big Ten East. Mm -hmm. However, I mean, Georgia has won a national championship, and even Florida's won a couple of national championships within the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. I think it's it's really a contrast of styles because the West is so much more ground and pound and play really good defense. I mean, that's the, the calling card for Wisconsin and certainly for Iowa. I mean, you looked at Iowa last year. They're, and Northwestern when Northwestern's good. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Well, they, they play rock-solid defense. They run the ball a lot. and uh, They don't turn the ball over. They don't yep. get any penalties. They don't make mistakes. They I wait mean, for you to make mistakes but they capitalize. I mean, look at Minnesota last year. They ran the ball so much. They they were like one of the like the the ten worst teams in college football in terms of number of attempts uh, through the air. So there's really a contrast in styles between the East and the West. But certainly, the West has had their share of success against these teams from the. East and it, it you're right it, the, the gap is not as big as people might think it, even though I, the, the big thing too is and there's exceptions to this like last year was except was not or was an exception when uh, Ohio State beat Wisconsin in the first year of the playoff and won 63 to nothing or whatever that's an exception mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people would forget if you would look at the big Ten championship game results since 20. 20- 13 or 14, I think 14 was the first year they went east and west after the Legends and Leaders. That there's a lot more games where you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I mean, Ohio State beat Wisconsin, but they only won by 14, and it was a, it was, it was a seven-point game for a lot of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And I think people just remember the couple of times that Ohio State or Michigan's beat the snot out of somebody. And it's like, actually, I mean, there's there were some games that were, that were pretty close. Absolutely. So let's go 
into the East Division here, and we already kind of talked about it, about how good Ohio State is, and I may be more of the, the mindset, and this is not probably the right mindset to go in, but I look at teams that can go undefeated, and I really look at Ohio State as a team that can have that undefeated record going into that championship weekend uh, with a chance to go to you know, you know in Indianapolis to win uh, it, the Big Ten championship game and be undefeated and all but secure a spot in the, uh, the college football playoff. I mean, you look at their schedule. They're just – they have a – Perhaps a tough opening game against Notre Dame, but that game is in Columbus. It's not a neutral site game. So I think Ohio State can get by that. And then really, their their first five games are at home. Michigan State's going to be a little weaker this year. Uh, Penn State, not great. I look at, at Ohio State really with two major games that I would question, and that would be at Penn State October 29th, just because Sean Clifford's really good, and then at Maryland November 19th. That one, I think, is a a very dicey one, potentially, for Ohio State. That's the week right before Michigan, so you know maybe their, their mind's focused on Michigan. That's, the I think, the biggest game that could potentially trip up Ohio State en route to a perfect regular season. You might be right. It's worth noting, though, like I said earlier, the, the at Maryland, like those are the games that Urban Meyer struggled with. But mm-hmm. Ryan Day hasn't really to this point. Yep. Um, I do think it's worth it. I, clearly, unless something weird happens and there's like a whole bunch of injuries, Ohio State's going to be favored in every regular season game. Mm-hmm. I think if you're looking for possible losses, I think Notre Dame at Michigan State, at Penn State, and Maryland, uh, home against Michigan are the only ones that I would say are, I mean, not even a toss-up, but like, oh, yeah, I'll give this other team like a, a one-in-three chance to win. I think outside of that, I mean, not that they couldn't lose other games, but I think it would be very, very surprising if they did. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm going to make a, a, a guess, like it, last week I talked about the team that I could see making some noise in the Big 12 and maybe surprising uh, a few people would be West Virginia with JT Daniels and at, at quarterback there. I think they could make some noise. If I'm looking at the Big Ten this year, the team that I think could make some noise. Are you say Maryland? It would be Maryland, yes. I really love Tua's brother, Talia Tagavailoa. Uh, I mean, their head coach, uh, Loxley, Mike Loxley, has done a fantastic job kind of re-energizing that program. He's recruited very well. They seem to have a lot of things in place. So if I'm looking at a team, not saying that that's going to win the Big Ten East because I think it's Ohio State's to lose. But if I'm looking at a team that could perhaps surprise and be better than people think, it would be Maryland this year. I'm going to kind of split the difference. I think that what you said isn't, wrong and I think they could have a good year but they could go to like eight and four nine and three and still finish fourth in the division they could yep and I, I think that's like gonna be what Maryland's like this year mm-hmm. and I mean that's not a knock on them I think that they will objectively be good and go to a bowl game but I don't think they're gonna beat Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State no I I agree so I have Maryland 
this year at 8-4 and four, with their four losses coming at Michigan, at Wisconsin, at Penn State, and then home to Ohio State. Uh, so I have Ohio State. I think those are all reasonable. Yep. And so I have Ohio State going undefeated for that reason. But I do have Maryland finishing third in the Big Ten, only behind Ohio State and Michigan, who I have at 10-2. and two. I think Kate McNamara for Michigan. Michigan's going to have a better passing attack this year. But you lose guys, you know, especially on the defensive line with uh, Ojabo and Hutchinson. That's difficult to replace. I don't think Michigan. I don't think Jim Har- or yeah, uh, Jim Harbaugh is going to be able to capture the magic that he did last year. They do have to go to Columbus for that game with Ohio State. So I do have Michigan uh, finishing ten and two, and finishing second. But I, I, I do want to give Maryland some props because I do think they will. If you're looking at tiebreakers or conference records and stuff, I do think they will be better than Michigan State. I agree with that. I, Michigan State was really bad the first year under Mel Tucker. Last year, record-wise, they were good. I mean, I don't want to like say smoke and beers and not give them any credit. But they had a whole bunch of transfers come in, which sometimes that works, but a lot of times doesn't. Mm-hmm. It paid off great for them last year, and it worked. But I think that they will kind of find the mean, I guess, mm-hmm. and, you know, be like seven and five. Like, I, I don't think they're bad. I don't think they'll be bad. But, you know, I don't think that they're going to not have a first down in the second half against Nebraska, but win because of a, a stupid punt that they returned for a touchdown. I mean, they had two or three games like that that were like, oh, huh, didn't look like you guys should have won this game, but somehow you did because the other team did something dumb. Yeah. And, and I think they could win some games that way, but they're not going to, you know, win almost all of them like they did last year. I think it'll be more 50-50 for close games for the Spartans. I do want to make an amendment here, or I do need to make an amendment. I do have Maryland finishing, I guess, fourth because Michigan State I have with three conference losses. I do have them losing at Washington. So Michigan State in Maryland, even though they finish eight and four, Michigan State I have with one fewer conference loss. So my... My rankings would be for the East, I would have Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, Penn State. We could be talking about James Franklin here being done after this year. They've been very average the last couple of years. I get that, that, that Clifford has been a very good quarterback for the most part for Penn State, but they didn't have any rushing attack last year. There, there's way too many questions at Penn State, and Clifford was up and down a little bit. So as good of a quarterback as I think he is, there might be too much for him to overcome. They lose Jahan Dotson. I mean, that's a significant loss. He was one of the best wide receivers in college football last year. So Penn State, I think, is going to be distant, and this could be the last year uh, that James Franklin is in uh, Happy Valley. It could be, but I don't think it will be. I mean, I don't think he's going to have the whole. Oh my God, are you guys going? Are you going to leave to go to USC every single week like uh, yep. they did last year? Mm-hmm. And they, I think Jim Harbaugh might be a better coach than uh, James Franklin is, but James Franklin recruits better than anyone in the Big Ten, other than Ohio State, and they don't lack talent. And I think that. The opposite of Michigan State, I think that Penn State will get more breaks this year. Um, I think it's possible they could beat Ohio State even. I don't think they're going to win the division. But I, th- I I hate picking teams to go undefeated. I don't think Ohio State's going to be 
undefeated, but will probably be 11 and one. I think if I was going to have to pick a game, I'd probably say that uh, that game against Penn State that Ohio State loses. Mm-hmm. But and and then I think Penn State drops a couple of games and it's like ten and two. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State play uh, at the end of the regular season with the winner going to the conference title game like last year. Except Ohio State has revenge on their minds, and yeah. they are usually better at doing that than Michigan has been since, you know, Michigan's only beat Ohio State twice since 2010 or whatever now. And I don't necessarily feel good about my Big Ten predictions, and I, in fact, I feel so off with, the, like, I just don't quite understand, I don't, I don't have a lot of vindication or a lot of confidence in my picks, but I have Rutgers beating Penn State this year. I think Rutgers could, uh, can do a few things this year. I have them both at 6-6. Six and six. Um, so if Penn State if, if Rutgers loses to, or if Penn State loses to Rutgers and goes six and six, then then I think we're then it could be interesting to see what they're going to do at Penn State. So I I, I I don't know if definitively he'd get fired, but I wouldn't be stunned. I I don't know what his buyout and his contract extension is. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. I, I I don't remember. I'm assuming during the is James Franklin going to go to USC or not? That he's found a way to spin that into a contract extension. So it's possible that it would be like, yeah, you could fire him, but it's going to cost you $37 million. I think so. I mean, I think Penn State probably is going to be 7-5 and five or better. I And so Rutgers may be 5-7 and seven and not get bowl eligible. But I think that Rutgers-Penn State game gets Rutgers to bowl eligibility there with that win. So that's... Uh, I'm going out on the limb here and predicting Rutgers can get to six wins. We'll see if that happens. Indiana, not going to do much. They were 2-10 and ten last year, winless in Big Ten conference play. I have them at 3-9 and nine this year. Uh, the Big Ten East is just way too difficult for them. Don't add us, Indiana fans. Yeah, yeah, please don't. Please don't. If you're like, oh, you know, this year is different. Yeah, yeah, Penix Jr., he's gone, so what – Seriously, what do you have? I think that one year when a couple years ago when they won what nine games, got to the Gator Bowl or whatever, that was a flash in the pan. This is not saying that Indiana. It's also worth noting too that it's when Michigan was struggling under Jim Harbaugh and Michigan State wasn't good. Mm -hmm. So it was Ohio State and Penn State, and then they needed someone to be the third best team, and it wasn't going to be Rutgers or Maryland either. So it was kind of them by default. And I, I think that's the problem with conference realignment is you can always do well and, you know, you can be Clemson and build up and keep building and building and have things go perfectly and like, wow, now we're really good all the time. Mm-hmm. But it usually doesn't work that way. It's usually more like with Indiana where it's like, oh, wow, they were good. What happened? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, they were good, but it was also because Michigan and Michigan State weren't very good. Yep. And so they were up, and then once those schools kind of figured things out, then it was like, all right, well, we're back to back to the sixth or seventh best team in the division now. Exactly. Yep. So I think the two biggest storylines, I think maybe we kind of agree on this here, is that this is Ohio State's division and perhaps conference to lose. Like We're pretty sure they have a good chance, if not being undefeated, certainly just one loss being uh, the heavy favorites to win the Big Ten overall, make it to the college football playoff, and Michigan State taking a step back this year. Would those be correct assessments? Uh, well, I don't know if I well, – are you saying that 
we agree on those things, or those are the two biggest stories? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, do, do we agree on both of those here? The kind of the two big two takeaways. I, I agree on both of those facts. I think, however, Michigan does since they won the title last year is a bigger storyline than whatever Michigan State does unless they win the conference sure. title. Yep. Just, but, I, but I, I, but if we're comparing like at the end of the year, like with the. You know the division race is over. I think those will be the two things that will probably stick out the most. Yes. Yep, and Ohio I agree. State's really good in one the division and being like, oh, Michigan State record's not as good this year. Yes, those are just two two things from the Big Ten East. I think we can take away that we both agree on. I think maybe I'm a little more down on Michigan than perhaps you are. Um, I I think Michigan has a chance, and I like Maryland maybe a little more than you do. Uh, uh, but I think the, the two things that we can take away, I think that we agree on with this division, is that Michigan State not going to be as good as last year, and Ohio State very good with the chance at the college football playoff. Yeah. Um, as we turn to the West, so this is if, if you're Ohio State, don't lose at home early like you did against Oregon last yes. year. Yes, absolutely. the The Big Ten West is really our division. This is the division that we know. This is the team, uh, the division that. Both the, the, our teams that we cheer for are in Minnesota and uh, Nebraska. This is the, the division that neither of our teams has really had a lot of success with here in uh, well, pretty much forever because it's been heavily dominated by Iowa and Wisconsin outside of a, a year or two where Northwestern kind of threw a wrench into things. I This Big Ten West is... Is perplexing to me. I am down on a few teams that I probably shouldn't be. When I was going through this whole Big Ten, like picking the records and stuff, I don't feel good about a lot of these picks, especially in the Big Ten West. Like I have Illinois going three and nine. I don't think that's going to happen. Brett Bielema was five and seven last year. They were they were good. But when I kind of go through this, I, I kind of have like this round robin. I'm perhaps a little higher on Minnesota than I should be. I have them going 9-3. and three. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's it's a possibility, I guess. Uh, Purdue, really high on Purdue this year uh, to go 9-3. and three. I have Wisconsin 9-3. and three. I have Iowa 9-3. and three. I have four teams in the Big West going 9-3. and three. Kind of round robin, robin or kind of a... a uh, cannibalism here, one team beating another and then another team beating that team. I just find this Big Ten West very perplexing because I think you can make a legitimate case for almost every team in this division to potentially make it to Indianapolis. Yeah, early on when you said the thoughts on the division or the conference as a whole, this is where I have to walk back. What I, I mean, I still believe everything I said about the West being a lot better than people generally give it credit for year in and year out. I do not think this is going to be a big a banner year for the Big Ten West, though. I think there will be a fair amount of above-average teams. You know, someone might get off to a strong start and be in the top ten for a while. Mm-hmm. I don't think any Big Ten West teams are going to be in the top 15 at the end of the year. And that's not to say the division's bad. It's just not going to be a year where we're like, oh, wow, Wisconsin or Iowa is really, really good and maybe has a chance to actually win the conference. It's going to be it's going to be one of the years where we're like, oh, yeah, this is the team that won the division and they're going to have to play Ohio State. They may not lose by five touchdowns, but, you know, they're going to they're going to be down 14 at halftime and end up losing by 24 or something like that. 
Iowa has just a terrible offense, but they have a very good defense. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could see week one South Dakota State going to Iowa City and beating the Hawkeyes. Not saying it's going to happen because there's a, a substantial difference in talent, but Iowa's defense really good, but their offense is going to struggle once again. Wisconsin, good yeah, defense. I mean, week, week one, South Dakota State and Iowa. If you're South Dakota State, you can find a way to get 14 or 17 points. You legitimately can win that game. I, absolutely. I mean, if South Dakota State only gets seven, I don't think that's going to be enough. But 17 could be enough to beat them. It could be like, well, they went in and won 17 to 10. And, I mean, it's not like Iowa's known... I mean, even years where Iowa's been good and done really well, they usually don't look good on offense early in the year. And as we're talking South Dakota State here, doesn't 17 points seem incredibly low for them, regardless of who they're playing? Just think of the, the guys they have on offense. Granowski at quarterback, Isaiah Davis running back, the, you know, Kraft at tight end, the, the wide receivers, the Yankee twins that they have. This is a legitimate bona fide offense that Iowa's defense is really going to it, that's going to really test Iowa's defense right away that first week. Yeah, it'll be an interesting game to watch. I, uh, I'm i very much looking forward to it. You have Wisconsin, Graham Mertz, uh, who I was really high on his freshman year, but he has really not lived up to the expectations for them at quarterback. They have a great running back in Braylon Allen. The defense overall is very good. Jim Leonard has been one of the, uh, I would say, better defensive coordinators in the country, and you can always count on Wisconsin for defense. So I maybe trust Wisconsin's defense a little bit more than I do their offense, which is why I think you probably have to favor them overall to win this division. I think Wisconsin's offense is going to be good too, though. I mean, they've only got five starters back, but three of them are offensive linemen. And they're running back who ran for thirteen hundred yards and twelve touchdowns last year. Mm-hmm. And if he stays healthy, I'm sure those numbers will go up and be better this fall. I uh, I don't think Wisconsin's going to flirt with going twelve and zero, but I I do have them winning the division though. I have them going nine and three, as I do three other teams, as I mentioned: Purdue, Wisconsin, or Iowa, and Minnesota. Minnesota is the least likely of the those four, I think, to go nine and three. But Purdue, if we just want to talk about them for a moment, they yes, they lost David Bell and they lost George Karloftis. I mean, those are two big name players on either side of the ball. Bell was a wide receiver. Karloftis, the defensive end, went to Kansas City. But you look at uh, Aiden O'Connell, their quarterback, and just the the system that head coach Jeff Brom runs. This is a tremendous offense. They beat Tennessee last year in the what the Music City Bowl, which I think was a bit of a surprise. But Brom's offense is really established, really good, and I think Purdue could make some noise in this division. Yeah, this is the. I mean, I, I remember when Jeff Brom took over, we thought Purdue. I mean, I think a lot of people thought with Bob at Purdue and Scott Frost at Nebraska that they would have great offenses year in and year out. And it hasn't really worked that way. I think Purdue's offense has generally been better. But we're good last year. I think that their offense is going to be even better this fall. I mean, the best receiver, three offensive linemen, so you can block up spot. And whenever you have a returning quarterback, it does well. I think that's always a... Uh, a big feather in your cap, and I—I uh, I don't think Purdue's going to win the division, but I think they can. 
I think they can make a legit run when we're in like the first or second week of November. And they're like, hey, if Purdue can find a way to win out and get some breaks, they could win the division. But I don't I don't think that they're going to do that though. I do have a four way tie for first in this division with Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa, and Wisconsin all being nine and three. I'm giving Wisconsin the ultimate tiebreaker here and and winning uh, this division. Minnesota, I'll just touch on them for a moment. I know that, I mean, P.J. Fleck has done a great job kind of changing the culture there. He's getting some higher recruits up to Minneapolis. I could see the Gophers, 9-3 and three, I think is their ceiling. 7-5 and five seems more likely. I could see them losing at home to Purdue on October 1st. I could see them certainly losing to Iowa at home on November 19th because they haven't beaten Iowa in uh, like at least five years. So that's not great. Uh, I do have them beating your Huskers in uh, in Lincoln on uh, what is that November fifth. That's probably unlikely. So seven and five or six and six is probably more realistic for Minnesota. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because their defense was great last year. They get uh, Mo Ibrahim back at running back. That's I think big. Uh, the the change in offensive coordinator is big for Minnesota this year. Going, uh, let me get his name again here. Uh, Kirk uh, Soraka, who went to Penn State for a little bit before coming back. So I think Minnesota's offense is going to be better this year. It's can that defense be really good? What do you think Nebraska is going to be like this year? Nebraska also made uh, a lot of changes on offense. Yes, they did. The only offensive coach they have back is their tight ends coach. Um, their offensive coordinator is now Mark Whipple, who was at Pittsburgh last year and helped Kenny Pickett have a great year and get drafted highly. So we'll see if uh, that if, if Nebraska's offense looks like Pittsburgh's offense last year, then I think Nebraska will look much, much better. Um because Nebraska's dumb, they opened the year in week zero playing Northwestern in Ireland. Nothing, I don't know who agreed to do that. Nothing says feathered nothing, for that. Nothing says football in Ireland like Nebraska and Northwestern. And for a team that really like is, hey, our coach is on the hot seat. We want to make a bowl game. Going to a foreign country to play a divisional rival the first game of the year just seems incredibly stupid and. You know, whether Nebraska is what they used to be or not, like, in a lot of ways, they're still a big boy school, even if they're not winning recently. Mm -hmm. But agreeing to do this is not a big boy school decision, and that's why someone should be fired over this. I can't believe that they're going to Ireland to play Northwestern. <laughs> it's so stupid. They, they should open with, like, a, a historically black college or an FCS school from New Mexico or, you know, or Air Force, somebody that they're like, we're absolutely going to win week one. So then hopefully we can try to get on a roll. But they're dumb, so they're not doing that. And I think the first game of the year is going to decide the whole season. I think there's two ways this season goes for Nebraska. They either go 6-6 six and six and 7-5 and because they win the first game of the year and probably don't beat Oklahoma at all, but could be like 5-1 and one or so find a way to get to six wins. Frost gets an extension. I don't know if it works long term, but everybody's happy because they're finally back in a bowl game and maybe things go right. Or they lose the first game of the year to Northwestern and everything absolutely caves from the inside. And Frost gets fired before we get to October. 
because they're one and three or whatever. And uh, then it's just back to the, okay, who are they going to hire next? And is this next hire going to work? No, it probably won't. At least I think I think more than any other thing is it, because Northwestern and in Nebraska, other than last year, almost always play close games that go down to the wire. That it's just going to be like, all right, well, if you can win, maybe you can be decent this year. But if you can't, it's going to get so incredibly ugly so fast. At least, at least Nebraska gets North Dakota, not North Dakota State, September third in the true Week One. They shouldn't even be playing North Dakota because North Dakota's been good at times, also. But I agree. I'm. They shouldn't ever play North Dakota State or South Dakota State. That the last four games of the season for Nebraska are really tough. I mean, I again, yeah, it's a nasty closing. They got to get to six wins before the last four. Yes, and I have them for just for full disclosure. I have them finishing five and seven, but I could see them going six and six or seven and five this year. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Certainly, kind of what you were mentioning, but Minnesota. If Minnesota's clicking, that's a really tough game there to start November, and then at Michigan, home to Wisconsin, and at Iowa. Those last three games in particular are absolutely brutal. Yeah, I think it's even though they played. All three of those teams close last year, and you can make a case should have won all three, especially Iowa and Michigan. Um, they didn't win, and I think that it's unlikely that all three of those games that they're in the game with a chance to win at the end. And um, is this the first time since the turn of the century that there's not a Martinez starting at quarterback for Nebraska? It's not the first time, it just seems like it. (laughs) Because even though the two were not related, having two different four-year starters named Martinez, a quarterback, since 2010 is a lot. Yes. I mean, like, not even, really, if you you had uh, Taylor Martinez and you had Adrian Martinez, and then you also had three and a half years of Tommy Armstrong, too. And that's, that's basically been everything since they joined the Big Ten, mm-hmm. other than one year with a guy named Tanner Lee. Those have been the four starting quarterbacks for Nebraska since 2010. I was being facetious with my comment just for the listening audience out there, but yeah, I'm glad you, you it got It does that. seem it, like that they were each there for seven years, Yes, though. You're completely correct. Yes. So, Especially if you're not a Nebraska fan following the day day. I totally get how you're like, wait, wait, hasn't this guy been there since the uh, – since the Obama administration. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So I think we have the same Big Ten championship game here. Uh, we'll we'll pick our winner here in a couple of weeks. But uh, do we have Ohio State versus Wisconsin? Yep, that's what I've got. Okay. I think I think last year it was it was it was interesting and it was different last year with mm-hmm. Michigan and Iowa. Yes. I think this year will be uh revert to what it's been a lot for the last decade or so. Absolutely. Uh, so let's turn our attention now to the other conference for this week, that being the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 is is mired in a lot of uncertainty uh, with USC and UCLA bolting for the Big Ten here in 2024. Uh, so soon they won't be a part of it. Who knows if you know the Big 12 is going to raid some of these Pac-12 schools. Uh, where does Oregon State, Washington State end up? Where does Stanford go? Like, we don't know what's going to happen with this conference. So it's going to be interesting here. Maybe the Mountain West and the Pac-12 will merge into one. Maybe that would uh, 
help. I don't know what's going to I mean, geography doesn't matter anymore. Maybe the Pac-12 and the ACC come together, and they just become the Coastal Conference or something like that. I don't know. Have you heard that Like the Big East was, uh, for basketball was looking at potentially adding Gonzaga? I didn't see that, but I'm not stunned. I mean, if USC and UCLA can be in the Big Ten... But clearly all that matters is getting name brand schools now. Nothing says Big East basketball like Providence at Gonzaga at 1030 uh, at right. night at uh, on a Thursday. That That's just... 1030 screams. Pacific time. Yes, yes. I mean, that just screams uh, uh, Pac- or Big East. But as it pertains to the Big 12, we'll start with the North here. Pac-12. I guess overall... Um, Overall perceptions of this conference this year. I mean, you have the huge storylines with Lincoln Riley getting hired from Oklahoma to go to USC. I mean, that sent shockwaves certainly throughout the the, the Pac-12 conference, but college football as a whole. And we saw the the all these recruits, you know, the Caleb Williams, the the Mario Addisons, and stuff in the transfer portal going to USC. So USC is going to be a team to really watch this year, but you have new head coaches in Oregon, Washington, Washington State, USC. You have turmoil in Arizona State. Arizona had a really good recruiting class kind of flying under the radar. Utah is maybe kind of that silent factor, maybe getting into that uh, college football playoff discussion. This conference does have a lot of storylines going into this season, a lot of interesting things to watch. Yeah, you, you touched on the two of them that I think are the biggest. I mean, the biggest being USC and UCLA leaving, more specifically, how does everyone else in the Pac-12 treat them before they're leaving? Because I don't think any, you know, a month and a half ago before this was announced, when none of us even knew there were, like, whispers about this. You know, these are schools that have been in this. I mean, other than Utah and Colorado and the Arizona schools, I don't know how long it was the Pac-8, but, like, they've been together for decades. Mm-hmm. And, like, we, I think a lot of times we think of, like, Pac-12 schools as not taking it as seriously, like the fans, as Big Ten or SEC schools. And I think that's a fair assessment. It'll be interesting to see how USC and UCLA get treated on the road, though, this year. Yes. I think it could be it could be much, much different. Like, even... Even Stanford, like, I, I don't know if Stanford hosts either UCLA or USC, but even, like, the Stanford, we don't really care, or Colorado, we don't really care as much. You know, I think those could be, uh, those games specifically could be very interesting for USC and UCLA Absolutely. going on the road. And then uh, the other one you mentioned, I think it's it's Lincoln Riley at USC and how fast does he get him up and running. I mean, we won't know for sure. I think we all thought Scott Frost would be a lights-out hire at Nebraska, and it's not worked out that way. So there are times that things don't quite fit, but I would be very, very surprised if he's not successful there. We'll just see how long it takes. I mean, could he be great in year one at USC? I think it's possible. I mean, I, spoiler, I don't have him going undefeated. I don't I don't have him winning the division either. Mm-hmm. But I think they could be really good, and I think it's possible they could win the division this year. Like, if like if we're sitting here, you know, in November, and USC's 11-1, like, would we be that surprised? We might be a little surprised, but would we be that surprised? No. No. Not with, not with, the, not with the, the guys they've gotten in the transfer portal. I mean, I just mentioned Caleb Williams and Mario Addison. I mean, those are huge gets for USC. 
I mean, I see. Yeah, it's gonna be. It's going to be fun to watch the Pac-12 this year, I think. You bring up, we always love Pac-12 after dark. Uh, that's the the motto on ESPN because wacky things always happen with these very late night games on Saturday night uh, for the East and the Central time zone. But you bring up a good point that I hadn't thought of, and that is the, the level of animosity that USC and UCLA are going to receive this year. I You you. you Think about that for the Big 12, what they're doing to Texas and Oklahoma as they're leaving to go to the SEC. And I was thinking we would certainly visit this next year when it's uh, USC and UCLA's last year in the Pac-12. But it certainly could be a factor this year, too, with them getting the business from all of these other schools that they're playing in their conference. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of them, it's going to be, you know, half the teams they play, it's going to be the last time they ever host them. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not ever, but for a long time. Yeah. And, like, let's also throw in, too, that, you know, Pac-12 after dark, things get weird. Yep. Hashtag Pac-12 refs, things get weird. Mm-hmm. Like, just wait until we start getting the conspiracy theories. When UCLA or USC, because the Pac-12 refs, they were frequently not very good, you know, make some weird call after a... Uh, after a reveal, and just the way people are going to absolutely flip out about it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would imagine that's going to happen at least twice this year, and people are instantly going to go to, like, oh, USC and UCLA are leaving. Pac-12's purposely screwing them over, kicking them, kicking them in the rear end on the way out the door. And, like, could that be true? I mean, it's probably not, but I suppose it could be. I mean, I can tell you that many Nebraska fans said that that's what happened. Whenever they lost their last year at the Big 12, I think they lost two regular season games that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- again, this the, the Pac-12, I think, is very interesting this year for a myriad of reasons. And if we're looking at the North Division, again, I mentioned there are... There are several head coach, new head coaches at programs at Oregon, Washington, Washington State. So if we're looking for a stable program... Look at Oregon State, which I can't even believe we're saying, but what... I know, it sounds so funny it, to hear out loud. It, it does, but you have to say it. I mean, they were 7 and... Uh, what, what were they last year? They were 7 and seven and 6. They lost in their bowl game, but they were bowl eligible. This has a, been a program that's been downtrodden for a really long time, but has really kind of established themselves. They've gotten some good recruiting classes in and has, have been competitive in this conference. They're Got a returning starter at quarterback. Yes, and I think there's a legit possibility that th- there's an argument to be made that Oregon State is has the, a good chance or maybe is the best team in the North Division. I'm not going to make that prediction. I I still have too much faith in the Ducks. They get Bo Nix at quarterback uh, from Auburn. They have plenty of uh, good recruits coming in. You get the the defensive coordinator from Georgia to come in and be the head coach. A culture, a little bit of a culture difference here, but he brings that tenacity. I like what the Ducks have overall. I think they win this division. But Oregon State is a, a team that cannot be taken lightly and I think has to be given some serious consideration by those outside looking at this specific division. I also think that Oregon's going to win the division. I don't love picking Oregon with a new head coach. Um, I feel like Washington 
complete. Washington, in some ways, kind of like when Nebraska first joined the Big Ten, mm-hmm. although I realize Washington hasn't changed conferences, like had a moment where it was like, oh, you guys are really good. Are you going to build on your success? And just completely wasted all of it and are set back now and, you know, have fallen behind and have to try to catch back up. Um, I, I, I want to pick against Oregon with a new head coach, but I don't think there's anyone I can really realistically pick. I mean, I think Oregon State could be good. I think you're probably going to have to get to 10 wins to win the division, though, or at least nine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I trust Oregon State to get to nine wins. I could say seven. Like, I could see Oregon State being seven and five, maybe even eight and four. But then I know this isn't fair because Chip Kelly and Mike Riley aren't in Oregon and Oregon State anymore. But it just seems like I saw too many times at the mid to late 20 odds where it was like, oh, Oregon and Oregon State. Oregon State, if you win, you can play in the Rose Bowl. And it's like, well, Oregon State lost by five touchdowns. Didn't even come close. Mm-hmm. I will admit, I, I'm probably I'm higher on the Ducks this year than I probably should be. I have them going ten and two. I have them winning this d- division. I have them losing against Georgia right away, week one, and then I don't have them losing again until November nineteenth at home against Utah. Certainly, uh, there's tough games in there, including at home against BYU. That's a game they could certainly lose. Uh, UCLA is a, a one that they could lose, but. Their schedule, like if, if we're ranking the teams that could probably have an undefeated season, I think we talked about last week how Georgia is that team that has the easiest schedule, but they re- they have to replace so much talent on that team that there's likely a slip-up in there. There's more talent probably on Alabama and Ohio State, but if you're looking at schedules, uh, Georgia's matches up really well. Oregon's also, though, has that kind of feature where you get Utah at home. You you have that tough game right away by Georgia. But if you can somehow win that game, Oregon's got a great chance to be undefeated going into that November 19th game against the Utes. You're right. I agree with everything you said. I think it's also worth noting, let's look at the flip side of this. And then if it's uh, Scott Frost, Jimmy Lake year one for uh, Dan Lanning to Oregon, which... For his sake, I'm not hoping this, and I don't think this will happen, but... <sighs> Sorry, I had to cough. No, no so. worse. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that Oregon loses to Georgia. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I don't think they're going to lose to Eastern Washington, but we've seen Eastern Washington beat back 12 teams yes, in the have. past. Yep. And then they play BYU. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not banking on this. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there's a world, though, where it's semi-plausible that we're like, oh, shit, Oregon's 0-3 to start the year. Oh, didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know if I think they're going to lose at Washington State or to Stanford or to Arizona. So, I mean, they still have some games they could win. But it's, it's with a first-year head or a new head coach, it's, it's, it's not that hard of a schedule, but it's like I think it's a little bit trickier than it looks at first glance. Yeah, one and two is certainly plausible. I am not saying that that BYU game is a gimme. I am very high on BYU this year. So that is uh, certainly, as I said, it's not a gimme. Um, and I have them losing to Georgia. If, if they can get by BYU, though, I do think the Pac-12 portion of their schedule sets up nicely for them. I agree with that. I mean, you. the only thing I don't know is which of these games are going to be the 
you know, nine o'clock kickoff times yes. where that's where the weird stuff happens. Yes. On the road. But I should say, I mean, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here. I'm assuming neither of us are going to have a Pac-12 team in the playoffs now. And I don't think there's going to be one team that's going to be like, well, yeah, you know, we're 12 and one and we're clearly better than the rest of the conference. I think that this conference will be kind of like if it was the, uh, let's see, if it was, yeah, I was going to try to make a comparison that doesn't work, but well, let's say I think this, this conference will be like if there were two separate Big Ten Wests. But mm-hmm. there will be some teams that are above average and good, and it'll be fun and entertaining, and nobody will make the playoff, and that isn't like inherently some terrible, awful thing that someone from a certain conference didn't make the playoff, if it's fun and interesting to watch. I think if this conference has a team in the playoff, it's coming from the South Division. It's not coming from the North, at least not this year. I agree with that. I, I don't think that there will be one period, but if there is going to be one, I agree it'll be from the South. I do think Washington's interesting. Kalen DeBoer comes over from Fresno State. He's got a, a lethal offense there. He, I mean, he's got Michael Penix Jr., the quarterback from Indiana. If he can kind of recapture that magic from a couple years ago. I think Washington's a very intriguing team this year. And certainly, I think they are a team to watch for in years to come because they got that kid from Pier to quarterback them here uh, was he the class of 2023? So that I that's very intriguing to me. What Washington Washington can do, I think they're a team to watch for in the future. But overall, I think Washington falls back. I think they'll be nine and three this year. That's probably a little high for them, but I'm going to give. It's a big jump from four and eight last season. It is. It is. But I, I do think that Kalen DeBoer can can work his magic there. So I'm going to give Washington the benefit of the doubt there. I will give Oregon this division. I have Oregon State at 7-5. and five. I don't feel great about that. I think they could be a little bit better than that. Washington, probably a little worse. Washington State. Washington State is intriguing to me only from the standpoint of their quarterback, Cameron Ward, who is an FCS transfer from Incarnate Word. Uh, but he put up monster numbers. In fact, he's kind of one of the top 20. I, I'm reading this article here in this magazine from Athlon Sports, and they say that he's, um, in the spring, he was one of the listed among the top 20 uh, players in the country at winning the Heisman at plus 5,000 odds. I don't know where the current odds are at, but this guy's a dual threat. So Washington State could be in a very interesting or watchable team if Cameron Ward can do the magical things that he did at the FCS level. I mean, for their sake, I hope he can. I mean, it's always kind of fun when the Cougs are good when you randomly are watching them on a late Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal? I, uh, also, I, like, the, the Pac-12 North could be a division where it's like, oh, five teams went to a bowl game, but four of them were 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five Yes. Outside of the team that won the division at 10-2 and two or 9-3. and three. And I, I think Washington State will be one of those teams that will be somewhere between four and eight, seven and five, and have a good chance to go to a bowl game. But would be surprised if it was late November and we were like, "Oh wow, they are legit. They're probably going to win the conference." I have Washington State winning their final three games to get to bowl eligibility at six and six. I like it. Beating the two Arizona schools and Washington in the yes. Apple Cup. Yes. Yep. 
like it. Don't, going on a limb here. Cal, I don't know what to make of them. I don't think they're going to be very good. And Stanford has just fallen off the map. They have a good quarterback. They, but too, much, too many other questions. Stanford's going to be in a, a world of trouble again, I think, this year. I think you could be right, but Stanford a lot of the times is like Northwestern. And we don't, the years where we really don't think they're going to be good are the years where we're going to play there 10-2 and, and make a play of the division. I don't think that's going to happen this year either, but I think it's worth noting that Stanford and Northwestern, that nobody thinks either of them are going to be good in most of the years where they frequently end up doing just that. Mm-hmm. As far as the South goes, this is the more intriguing division because you have USC and Lincoln Riley. What can he do? You have UCLA. Chip Kelly finally had a good season last year there uh, in his third season. What can he do for uh, an encore in his fourth season? Uh, he does have a good quarterback in Do- uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. There is a lot of skill on this team. Their schedule favor is, is set up quite quite frankly, very favorably for them. They get Washington and Utah at home. They do have to go to Oregon, but they get USC at home. This is a team that I think is worth watching in the Pac-12 South. I think they can make a lot of noise and potentially win this division. Was like Utah or USC? UCLA, I'm saying. UCLA. The, the, oh, the UCLA. Schedule. Sorry, yes. I just yep. heard that. No, no, the, the, Sorry, I was looking at USC schedule, and I was like, wait, they don't play Oregon. No, no, no. I think the Pac-12 South has, a, has three really good teams and three not-so-good teams. Um, it, it, I think, honestly, I see three teams in this division that get at least 10 wins. UCLA, USC, and Utah. This is finally going to be the year where uh, Sports Lounge, Sports Block, someone picks UCLA to do well and they finally actually do well. Just because I remember there were two or three years in a row where David Schottenberg would pick UCLA to have a big year and they just kept kind of being mediocre. Do you think but, he did that on purpose, though, so he would jinx his uh, arch rival UCLA beat him being the USC it's possible. That's possible. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but that's a strong possibility. But... I, I, UCLA, I mean, they don't have a lot back on defense, but it's not like Chip Kelly's known for having great defense in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's going to be their offense that shows how they're done. Um, I am very intrigued to see how uh, how Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley perform in year one at USC. Being able to, like, to get, to get an instant transfer who's not sitting out after starting as a freshman in Oklahoma for you is – is one of the most like oh wow I mean just like there's no way that that happens ten years ago obviously with the way transfers mm-hmm. work and uh, it'll be it'll be fun to see how they do I'm sure that they will uh, be good on offense at least it just depends if they're good enough to uh, to win the division but you know Utah's got a lot of people back too including the quarterback yes and uh, a, a quarterback who's used to the conference too. I mean, yes. it's worth noting that even with super talented quarterbacks like Caleb Williams, sometimes it takes a bit to uh, to get adjusted to things. I mean, no, no, nobody thought that Joe Burrow was this good when he left Ohio State to go to LSU, but it's worth noting that Joe Burrow didn't have a great year his first year at LSU. Well, it was the second yes. year. So there's, there's times that stuff like that happens, but I uh, – I'm really, really, really looking forward to when Utah hosts USC. Yes. Oh, and I think are, are we agreeing that that's the 
that not all that, that that could be potentially whoever wins that game wins the whole conference. Yes, yes, absolutely. I do, I will say you're looking at a couple of games here, and for Utah, there's a two week stretch I think that defines their season, and that's October eighth and October fifteenth. They're at UCLA and they're home to USC. They if they can get through that stretch one and one, if not two and zero. Oh, I think that that sets up their season perfectly. Devin Lloyd is a huge loss for them on defense. But what we saw last year in them getting to their first ever Rose Bowl appearance, what we they gave Ohio State all they could ask for. And if their secondary wasn't as depleted as they were, uh, injury riddled, uh, just uh, so many guys out. You, I think Utah wins that game against Ohio State. They had Ohio State on the ropes. Ohio State was trailing for much of that game. So I think Utah is a team, if we're going to look at a, I, I think if we were to rank the teams in the Pac-12 that have a legit shot at the, the college football playoff this year, I put Utah number one. And I think they get through that UCLA-Utah, or UCLA-USC stretch one and one, and I think that propels them to the South Division title. I think USC is in the is a factor in this. I think USC has a better chance to make it to the college football playoff than UCLA does. Just because I don't trust Chip Kelly and UCLA. I think they stubbed their toe along the way. And I trust Lincoln Riley a hell of a lot more. But I think it might take another year as USC kind of figures out. I mean, they had, I, I read that they have more new players on their team than any other team in the country. The chemistry just isn't all there for them, and that's going to factor in at some point. I have USC losing two games, one to Utah and one to UCLA. And I have Utah going 11-1, winning this division. I I generally agree with that. I think USC is the most likely team like to be undefeated and win a game in the playoffs of the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. But I think Utah is the most likely to win the division and like only have one loss and just make the college football playoffs. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. I think they're the most likely to be like, hey, we're not undefeated and we're not world beaters good, but we're good and we're in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Where I think USC is not as likely to do that, but has a higher chance of, you know, shooting the for the shooting the moon essentially and being like wow we caught lightning in a bottle year one and everything went great and we're 13 and 0 and we're in the playoffs it's the three seed right now yeah i mean again a ucla schedule favors them incredibly so i mean can you imagine if ucla were 11 and 1 and utah were 11 and 1 and you have but they both have wins over usc UCLA has a win over Utah, but Utah has a win over Florida. And I know it's an SEC team, and Florida might not be that good this year, but how much stock would you put into that? Who would you have ranked higher, UCLA or Utah? Because I think Utah's schedule is a little more difficult. It's a good question. It's tough to say without having seen the the season play out because we don't know, like you said, how good Florida is. Um, And and even if you said, like, oh, Florida's 7-5, it depends how that seven and five goes. I also like. I think UCLA could be good this year. I'm not as high on UCLA. I think them going eleven and one is pretty unlikely. I mean, I, I think they could be nine and three. 
and we're like, hey, look how Chip Kelly turned things around after a terrible start mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. I think it's going to be really tough to go 11-1 with only, like, two starters back from a defense that wasn't very good last year, mm-hmm. though. Yep. I And I agree. I think – and that's the, the one thing I just – we haven't seen a consistent UCLA program under Chip Kelly, and certainly like a consistent US, UCLA program in a long time. So they're going to stub their toe along the way, but part of you just kind of wants to, to, to take that dip into the water and take a chance on UCLA just because of the way the schedule is set up for them. I, I hear what you're saying, and the fun thing is the flip side of what you said about describing UCLA as Utah where they're consistent week in and week out. Mm-hmm. But the Pac-12 games that Utah loses are the games against Oregon or USC when Utah has a better record and is maybe, you know, tougher and more experienced, but just not as talented across the board as those other schools are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, but it seems like for the, like with Utah, you're getting there at least their beer, they beat plus game every week. Like you're you're not going to get a lot of C minus or D games on Utah, but you yeah. just aren't going. I mean, at, at least of teams with similar talent levels are better. I mean, I'm not talking about when they play FCS. Mm-hmm. Utah is not as likely to be like, well, yeah, we thought this was going to be a really close game between between two good teams, and UC or uh, Utah won by five touchdowns. Yep, and I think that's. It, I'm, I'm not knocking them and saying they're untalented. I mean, they're clearly talented. But they don't recruit at a level like USC or Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State where, right. you know, you have these games where it's like, oh, wow, look at these two teams ranked in the top ten. It's like, oh, shit, Ohio State beat them by seven touchdowns. I didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. Utah needs to win that first game against Florida for that that playoff momentum to, I think, to really hold true. I think Utah beating Florida, even though Utah should be favored in that one, they're the better team. It's just going to Florida in that heat and humidity, in that environment and atmosphere. That's a, going to be a tough challenge for them, but I think they come out victorious there. And again, I look at the Pac-12 kind of being decided October 8th and 15th. If Utah can get through that uh, portion w- with UCLA and USC at least 1-1, one and one, if not 2-0, oh, I think this is Utah's division to lose. But UCLA and USC are going to be factors in this. No, Arizona State, Herm Edwards is going to be done after this year. Too much. Uh, this is a, a program in turmoil. Uh, I just don't see much good from them. Colorado's going to stink. Arizona's going to be improved. They Apparently, they have a really good recruiting class, which is amazing considering they have won one game last year. But Jed Fish really did a... Uh, he's the head coach there. Did a fantastic job. I actually have Arizona losing to North Dakota State week three. That's, um, but still, I have Arizona. I don't even know if I'd say like actually. I mean that implies it's a surprise. I don't think anyone in the country, unless they're just a diehard Arizona fan or doesn't know anything about North Dakota State, is going to pick North Dakota State to lose to Arizona. Right. right. I mean, like, I would expect North Dakota State to win by, like, three and a half or four touchdowns. I, I agree. I agree. I do have Arizona 3-9, and nine, the worst team in the division, but improving. Actually, Colorado, I have them 3-9 and nine as well, uh, and Arizona State 4-8. and eight. None of these teams are going to do very good, in part because of the division that they're in and they're rebuilding. But Arizona's a team that could be ascending Arizona State and Colorado. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah, like you said, I think it's a... Uh... 
it's a three horse race, and there's going to be three really good teams that stand high and three bad teams that falter. Uh, so, Pac-12 championship. I have Utah from the south, Oregon from the north. Is that who you have, or do you are you going with UCLA? You know what? You said you've got Oregon and Utah. You said yes. That's who I had. I want to be different. I'm changing my mind. Lincoln Riley, USC, year one, eleven and one. Here we go. Okay. Oregon and Utah in the Pac-12 title game. All right. Hey, I can see it happening. I really can. That's not. A, I don't think you can make a wrong pick with any of those three teams from the South. I really don't. So. That will be interesting. Uh, so we have a little bit of difference there. We have the same Big Ten championship game. Uh, any other thoughts on these conferences uh, this week before we say so long? Um, I think we've talked about realignment some. I'm sort of uh, I think sort of don't hated. love all the realignment stuff, but yeah. that's the way it is. And mm-hmm. I guess we – I mean, this sounds weird to say, but I guess we should take note of – USC and UCLA's last two years of the Pac-12 and be like, hey, like this might be the last time we see USC and Stanford play for 15 years. So, mm-hmm. or or UCLA and Oregon, you know, I, I guess Chip Kelly played against his old school. So, you know, we should uh, we should take stock of these games while we have the chance to be like, oh, hey, let's uh, let's remember what these good times were like. I, I would hope that USC keeps like with two of their three or four uh, non-conference games when they move to the uh, to the Big Ten. I would hope they would keep Stanford, and I would hope they would keep Notre Dame and uh, rotate in an Oregon or a Utah every once in a while. That would be nice to see. I think it will help USC that I think at some point, whether it's two, four, eight, or ten years that Notre Dame's going to have to join the Big Ten at some point, too, because mm-hmm. it won't be financially viable for them to do anything except join either the Big Ten or the SEC. You, you and know. I just don't think that Notre Dame's ever going to go to the SEC, that even though they want to think they're better than the Big Ten and they don't, the Big Ten doesn't deserve them. They're just not going to go to the SEC. And I should have brought this up beforehand, but I, and I want to get your thoughts on this, but with the reports that the Big Ten are reportedly going with Fox as their primary uh, media partner. Oh, that's right. We didn't talk about this. No, yeah. no. With them, they have CBS and NBC. ESPN is no longer going to be broadcasting Big Ten games here, which is stunning. They've been doing this since the 1980s. This is a huge... Is Kirk Herbstreit going to leave ESPN so we can talk about his Buckeyes? I, I don't know. And that was a... I read an article like, well, is college... How does this change college game day? I mean, are they even going to acknowledge the Big Ten? Are they going to go to Big Ten uh, 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 campuses anymore? I'm like, well, they still go to SEC campuses, even though like sometimes those games are on CBS. This is a huge get for CBS, I think, because I think a lot of people are like, oh, the, it, the SEC is synonymous with CBS. Like, you think of that mid-afternoon game, that's like that's what you get. The, the 2.30 Central Time, the 3.30 p.m. Eastern game on CBS. They're going to get a, a Big Ten game now that's, I think, a real intrigue for them, and I think that's a great get. And NBC is going to be part of it as well. Whether or not that lures Notre Dame into... The Big Ten, I think, is a possibility, or Notre Dame remains independent, but the fact that the Big Ten is no longer going to have games on ESPN and is getting them on CBS and NBC is very, very significant. 
it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because ESPN, whether, you know, depending, we can debate to what degree, but obviously have like the largest voice in terms of networks of college football because they're the only one who doesn't have, you know, soap operas in the morning and, Mm-hmm. You know, other other shows, they can devote all the time to sports that they want to. Wait, isn't and it really taken it? over college football the last, I mean, what, I think it was around like 06, 07, that they started just having the Saturday night game on either ABC or ESPN, mm-hmm. which at the time, if I remember right, was Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreit. Yes. But that yep. was kind of the start of like, oh, we're going to be the, the sultans of college football media. Mm-hmm. And... To a couple of things you asked, I think that they will still go to Big Ten games for game day. I mean, they go I to agree. Harvard, Yale sometimes. Yep. Well, that's not on ESPN. They've been to Brooklyn, but I do and think that Fargo. there will be times that it will be like, well, they should clearly go to this Big Ten game that will magically see that they're like, actually, they're going to an SEC or ACC game, mm-hmm. which is like that's a weird choice, but for reasons like that. The other thing, I don't think that they will like not talk about Big Ten teams, but for like your Gophers and Mike Ordoskers, unless they're ranked in the top ten, we can expect to like never hear about them ever again on ESPN, mm-hmm. unless they get a unless the Big Ten gets a contract with them. I think they're always going to talk about Ohio State and Michigan, and they'll talk about Penn State when Penn State's good, which happens a lot, and they'll kind of talk about Wisconsin some because Wisconsin's good, and I guess Iowa generally has been good, so they'll get like a you know. An attaboy here or there, and that, but it's basically just going to be Ohio State, Michigan, mm-hmm. and to a lesser degree, Penn State, I think, and then it will just be like, all right, and they're they're going to treat most of the Big Ten West like, you know, well, like the Mac or the or the Sun Belt or right. something. Well, so we like, yeah, we don't care about these schools. We only care about the top fifteen teams that are legitimately going to make runs at the playoff. Well, we, you talked about soap operas. Isn't uh, first take a soap opera on ESPN? I mean, I, I suppose you could say the lighting's much better on first date than on some right. conference. But you're right; there there are some similarities there. So I I do think though, you know, that with ESPN having more more so of a monopoly on the SEC, certainly they have the SEC network, and they're going to be the 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 primary media partner for the SEC here moving forward. The ACC network and stuff, so they're going to have a big financial stake in the ACC, which we say like Fox isn't even getting in on the ACC at all. But I think the conferences that actually benefit the most from this are the the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Because now ESPN is going to put, since they won't have the Big 10, yes, you have the SEC and the ACC, but you can put more emphasis on the Big 12 and the Pac-12. So I think both of those conferences, whether or not they merge to form a mega super conference, which I think I still think makes the most sense, I think you're going to see ESPN voice their opinion that these conferences need to be viable still despite USC and UCLA leaving and either like kind of coax these conferences into merging or make them still viable uh ready to watch conferences competitive conferences because they will need to fill that void left by the Big 10 yeah, I, I mean, obviously they didn't get the rights. I'm assuming that ESPN didn't get the rights, though, not because they didn't want them, but because they just couldn't 
couldn't afford them or make the deal that they needed to. Right. They balked at the, I mean, they, the Big they're gonna, Ten. Like, was, they're going to hate not being able to show Ohio State, Michigan, and yes. USC. Or USC. But they haven't like, shown when, Ohio, when State, Ohio State, Michigan and for USC years. When USC start playing that they can't air that game is going to drive them off the yes. freaking wall. Yes. That they can't be like, oh my God, we're in Columbus for Ohio State and USC as conference, as conference rivals because – you know, even though Alabama and Georgia are frequently better than those two schools, you know, there's there's also something about just being like major population state, you know, centers mm-hmm. and yes, and yep. like historically, I mean, there's there's there are, this is the big thing is that to me, there's just eight schools that are like the kings of college football for the last sixty years, mm-hmm. like not last ten or last twenty, but last like sixty with long-term stuff. And the Big Ten has like four or five of them. Yes, yep. And they're just not going to be able – I mean, unless they're in the playoff and they show the playoff, they're just not going to be able to air them. Right. Yeah, I mean, they've uh, – ABC has broadcasted Notre Dame at USC for a lot of years when that game is in Southern Cal. Of course, when it's in South Bend, it's on NBC. ESPN, ABC, the Disney company won't have that now. But I do think that – I think – it puts more of an uh, a re it re-energizes and puts a bigger emphasis on ESPN trying to make the Big Twelve and the Pac twelve viable with the Big Ten going at these other media uh, conglomerates. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Yeah, or maybe it won't be. I mean, I don't know. It's it is going to be weird when it's like, oh hey, guess what? Minnesota and, and Michigan State are playing on NBC now. It's like, oh, all right, that's odd. Mm-hmm. It will. It, it, it'll take some getting used to, but I think ESPN will uh, look uh, to to put their chips elsewhere. But it's a it's a it's a significant loss for them losing the Big Ten. There's no no other way around it. But I think it will. I think the Pac-12 and the Big 12 will be the big winners in this if ESPN puts that emphasis on trying to get them um, on their networks and make them uh, continue to keep them as viable conferences. The other interesting thing, too, and I, I don't know how long the TV contracts are for, but I know the Big Ten is notorious at times for like purposely having shorter contracts. Mm-hmm. So theirs comes up sooner before the other schools. So they can turn around and get new massive big deals at a time. Or, you know, the other end of the spectrum is the ACC that's in this 20-year deal, which was great for five years, but now is going to be really bad for a lot of schools that they can't get more. So, I mean, I, I mean, this is, these are hypothetical numbers, but let's say, you know, after eight years, part maybe not all, but part of the Big Ten rights are up again. You know, like the the NBC and the, the CBS parts of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it would be crazy if we would be like, actually, ESPN or or Disney saw that they didn't have these and said, yeah, we didn't, we didn't pitch high enough. We need to make sure the next round of uh, media conference rights that we at least get some of them. So, yep. you know, so we get, I mean, I'm not saying that will happen, but I don't think either of us would be stunned if this is like an eight or, you know, a five to 10 year thing. And then they're like, yep, that was a mistake. We need to make sure we're on there. Yeah, absolutely. Nope, I I am in full agreement with you. It it just would it wouldn't shock me at all. I think ESPN's going to recognize this how significant of a loss the Big Ten is 
Um, but but they were the ones that balked at it. And the Big Ten, reportedly, the offer that they gave to ESPN wasn't even for their marquee package. That was going to Fox. It's It was more the secondary thing, and ESPN just said, nope, that's too much money for us. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens here uh, at the next media negotiations or the, the rights deals. But uh, it, it's significant news nonetheless. You know what else is significant, Stackin? What? East Carolina? The That the offshoot spinoff of our uh, favorite TV show, Game of Thrones, starts on, on Sunday. Are you going to watch that? Oh, I'm absolutely going to watch it. I, so in the previews I've seen, are there, are there any of the same characters? Like... The same no, characters? it's not the same characters. Like I guess this is supposed to take place like 500 years before the oh, events gotcha. of Game of Thrones. Okay. So it's still like Westeros and, you know, machinations yep. and political backstabbing in King's Landing. But they're going backwards instead of forwards because they don't want to have to change everything. Sure. Or... Because there's more stuff you can do going backwards instead of going forwards and being like, well, we thought Tyrion Lannister's story was over, but now we got to come up with more stuff. Okay, I mean, I mean that's un- okay, that's understand. I just didn't know if we're if we're going to see the Mother of Dragons in there, and if we're going to see some of these same actors or same characters that we saw in Game of Thrones. You won't see the Mother of Dragons, but you will see Targaryens that have dragons. So. At least based off the previous, so... That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, I'm glad you're excited for it, and I hope it lives up to your expectations and doesn't disappoint you like the ending did to uh, regular Game of Thrones. Same here. Hopefully not. I appreciate the time, as always, my friend. Looking forward to uh, spending a couple more weeks here with you previewing the season. Next week, we'll do the ACC, uh, the rest of these other conferences and independents, but uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and looking forward to doing more with you here in the weeks to come. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Talk to you later. Sounds good. Thank you, Charlie. Yep. Say up. Charlie Hildebrand with the Northwest Iowa Review. Kind enough to spend a, a significant amount of time with me previewing the Big Ten and the uh, Pac-12. Talking about those Big Ten media rights deals. Also uh, talking about East Carolina. We'll, we'll talk more about East Carolina if they do good. And uh, we'll, we'll do a significant preview on them next year but that will do it for this week's edition of the sports block podcast you can find us available on itunes just search the sports block podcast also available on podcast.com uh find us on, on twitter find me on twitter at nd stacking charlie hildebrand on twitter at ce hildebrand travis Krenz on twitter at travis Krenz. facebook nathan stack and a link to the podcast posted to the in the middle to later part of each week uh, with that being said, thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, we get back here into the, the swing of things, into the flow of the football season coming up here. And, uh, yeah, our break is done. We're, we're going full steam ahead. So for Travis and Charlie, I'm Nathan. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week, and we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Have a great week, everyone.